Welcome to Montucky Skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Good. So I'm just going to say right out of the gate, you're going to be gone the next week and maybe the week after. That's correct. Yeah. So I just don't want people to get whiplash when they turn in and they don't get their beardsly, but it's coming back again. So yeah, you just have to wait. I'll put on, I'm going to probably have a review of Spider-Man Homecoming when I get back. Yeah. Because I think I'm going to try and uh, sneak in an IMAX showing of the nice. Spider-Man Homecoming. Dude, there's so much Spider-Man news, but I wanted to hit a couple of things before we go go there. Um, one thing was, so Fargo Season 3 did their finale, I think, last week. And I, my wife and I caught up on Fargo and Better Call Saul this week. So I'm not going to spoil anything because I know you're not there. Yeah. But uh, did you get a chance to check out anything in Season 3 yet? No. I, uh, I'm probably just going to wait till it drops on Netflix. So I feel like when it's all said and done, um, I think it's right there with the first season. I still think the second season was better, but I think that the best episode of all of the shows is number eight on this season. Like it's an incredible episode, and I think it's a really controversial one because me and my wife actually had a, a loud argument about it. <laughs> Because she really didn't like it, and I thought it was brilliant. Uh, but it's very much it very much deals with uh, metaphysical things, and then it also has it, it sets up like a bowling alley that looks like the one in the Big Lebowski, and it has all these like callback to Coen Brothers stuff, and it has callbacks to the first season and second season of Fargo if you're watching for it and you notice it. But it's really interesting, and it sets up something that if you watch the finale in a in a vacuum, you know you're not you're not going to notice it. But you really feel the influence of that eighth episode when you watch the final episode. Uh, it's it's a fucking incredible run for this show, and it sounds like it may not get another season. And I thought it was because of the the ratings weren't great, but I checked it out. It got like one and a quarter million for like every episode, pretty much. Yeah. And so that's like, that's pretty good for a cable show. Like that's good enough to justify staying on. So it doesn't seem like it's it's from FX's end. It's from the creator's end. He said he'll do another season if he can come up with another idea. But he said he doesn't know that he can come up with another idea that's on par with, with what he's done for the first three seasons, which I can respect that. Like... I would rather he only come back if he brings his a game. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't want diminished returns. I want it to at least be on the same level as, as the weakest season, which is like, as I said, like I think the first and third season are about on par, which they're both fucking great. So, and the second season is just like one of the best seasons of television. Yeah. So, um, I was just reading today that Better Call Saul got picked up for a four season. It did. I'm. So, I was just about to bring that up. Um, I hadn't seen that it got picked up, but the last thing I heard was that AMC hadn't picked it up. So I'm really glad that they said that because where they left off on the finale, it was like the second season ended with a gut punch, and this one <sighs> ends with an even bigger gut punch because that gut punch in the second season drives the entire third season. Like that season revolves around everything that happened at the end of that, the second season finale. And so this season where it ends, it's going to be real interesting to see what actually transpires. And I don't want to give it away. 
So, so I who was been really trying to avoid spoilers on that. Mm-hmm. The only thing I have read was uh, we still got Jimmy McGill. Yeah, we're not at uh, Saul yet. Not yet. No, <laughs> no. Uh, they haven't connected everything up, but. There's like there's some incredible stuff going on. Um, I I will say one thing that I noticed personally is the episode names of Better Call Saul for this season point to what happens in the last season or the last episode, much like a lot of Breaking Bad seasons did. Uh, the one where the airplane crashes, all the all the titles like yeah. lead up to what happens in the last. And it's the same as this one. Like at least the last three episodes for sure lead up to what happens in the finale with the titles, but you could never guess what's going to happen based off of the titles. Interesting. Yeah. And I think they're called like, what is it? It's like, uh, it's something like fall. And then I don't remember. It's something akin to fall and then lantern. And like, it's like, I mean, you can't guess what's going to happen in the finale based off of those, but like it's, it's fucking, it's a real, real interesting ending. And I'm going to be, I'm so glad there's another season because I would be so upset <laughs> if we didn't find out what happened. Like, honestly, it's just like, it was, it's, it leaves too many questions unanswered, you know? Yeah. But, um, like Better Call Saul, it's it's been three strong seasons now. Like I really feel like they've all been good seasons. Yeah, I've only like I said, I've only seen the first two just because that's what's mm-hmm. been on Netflix. But damn, they're good. Yeah, and I feel like they're all on the same level. I think the first season they were figuring out exactly what they were doing a little bit, but it was still a really good season. Uh, and then they really got into the swing of what the show was in the second season, and. Then in this season, it's what I really like about it too is they they totally figure one thing that they were struggling with a little bit in the second season is like they would have an episode with Jonathan Banks's character, right? Right. And then they'd have a, a episode Jimmy with yeah with Bob Odenkirk and uh, you know they, they would alternate back and forth. And what they did in this one for the most part is they just intertwined them again, but they did it in a way where you get enough of both. Like that sometimes it's more of one than the other, but like there's always a continuation of both of their stories because they very rarely meet up and they do have at least one point where they intersect in the third season, but it's very much their own stories. I mean, you have the, you know, the, the rise and the, the, the gang basically. And Dude, the third season, they have this, I don't remember the actor's name off the top of my head, but he plays this character named Nacho, and I checked, and he's not he's not in Breaking Bad, but this actor is fucking incredible. It was such another great get, and he was there for a lot of Better Call Saul, but like he really breaks out in the third season, and he's just great. Like It reminds me of how uh, Carlos Exposito, like how he really shined in that season playing Gus. Yeah. You know, um... I, I feel the same way about this guy, Nacho. Like, it's he does such a fucking great job. Like, this guy is going to go on to do things. I have no doubt in my mind. And it's interesting because he's not in Breaking Bad, you could assume that he dies or that somehow he gets out of, like, the gangster life kind of, but you just don't know, like, his story. Or ends up in prison. 
Yeah, we just don't know what's going to happen with this story because he's absent in Breaking Bad. So that's interesting too because like you feel like there's a finish line for this character. You just don't know what it is. Whereas like a lot of the other characters, we know what their finish line is, right? Yeah. Like the two main characters, we know what their finish lines are. Like it's the beginning of when we see them in Breaking Bad. So um, yeah, it's, oh God, that show's so good. I just, I, I, I know it's a week late. So a lot of people who are following it have already seen those shows, and I didn't really say too much. But they'll about like them. To, they'll like to think about it again anyway. Yeah, I just like I just like to like give credit where the credits due, you know. And and those are two shows that need some credit. So, uh, moving on to some news. So, Jordan Vogt Roberts, who directed Kong Skull Island, which I really loved, uh, apparently he pitched Warner's a movie version of Red Sun, but was turned down. And I just, I just enjoyed that because have you ever heard of this comic at all? Red Sun? No. So what it is, is it's a Superman story that says, what if Superman landed 12 hours later and instead of landing in, in a Smallville when he was a baby, he landed in the Soviet Union and it covers this story. And like Aaron Donaldson is actually listed as one of his favorite Superman stories. Um, I don't remember if he said it on air or not, but I've definitely had conversations with him talking about it. And uh, it's it's an incredible story. It's really, really good. And so I just like the idea that we're now, like obviously the studios haven't gotten there yet, but I like that the creative people are starting to think like, hey, maybe it's not a bad idea to do these like what if sort of side stories. And if they're the ones pushing that now, that means that maybe it's off in the horizon. I think we got a little ways to go before we get those kinds of stories. But I like that because sometimes the best comic book stories are the ones that you just like break from continuity and you tell a different story that doesn't connect up. And I like that idea. I want to get there. I want to get there because this interactive universes are fun. But I think that there's room for these other things too. Now... The problem I see happening is with more so the the Marvel's cinematic universe is really gotten formulaic, and I think a lot of the stuff has really suffered some somewhat from that formulaic uh, format, and I think. I mean, looking towards the future, if if there's a couple, if they have a couple of movies come out that end up like the first few DCEU movies, they might actually like block some of this stuff that's coming out that's fringe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I'm just trying to be negative about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I know that there's a formula for, for Marvel movies, but I feel like the formulas aren't always horrible. Like Pixar has had a formula for a long time. Yeah. I feel like it works. And for Marvel, it's worked pretty well. But I also feel like they break the but, formula now yeah. in little ways. And I think that that's important too, because it sets up, it sets up an expectation when that expectation's not meet. Sometimes that like blows people's minds a little bit. Like the fact you you always one of the things that they always have um 
and Marvel movies is you have a character who like will appear to be dead somehow and then like he's not dead. And Guardians of the Galaxy two blew that out of the out of the sky when that Michael Rooker's character actually die. Um, like it, it's actually like a very poignant thing that that hits you in the feels maybe a little bit more than it would have because yeah. you don't necessarily see it coming because you're so used to like people being saved at the last second. Like even when he's when when Michael Rooker's character, which I guess like spoiler uh, if I gave that away, sorry, <laughs> but. Uh, when he's out in space, you know, the, like the way he dies, like being out in space, like we saw Chris Pratt's like Star Lord survive that way, right? And he like takes off his helmet, puts it on Gamora, and it looks like he's gonna die, and then he gets rescued at the last second. And that doesn't happen with Michael Rooker, so it almost like the expectation is there that he's gonna get saved, so it hits you a little bit harder that he doesn't get saved. So I don't think like. Marvel's totally draconian with their no, 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 not at all. That's when it becomes a problem is when you become very draconian and you you don't change them. But yeah, you kind of have to have rules so that you can break the rules. If that makes sense, yeah. Uh, it, it's akin to I read this book, which I I highly recommend to people called uh, "This Is Your Brain on Music," and. It's written by this neurologist who was a session musician and then he like went into neurology. And so he's really, really interested in, in uh, the neurology behind playing music. And he said that one of the things that makes music unforgettable is like we have all of these rules that you may not even you may not be aware exist, but even when you write music, you tend to fall into these rules, right? Because like that's just how it sounds, yeah. right? But then they'll like somebody will like break little rules and it will like make a song very memorable. And you don't know why it's memorable, but it hits you as memorable because it breaks these rules. And an example he gave that remembers somewhere under the rainbow, like where it's like somewhere over the rainbow that where it's supposed to resolve before she goes where. And so because of that, it like holds the note and it makes you like, like on a neurological level, you're like fucking resolve that fucking resolve that fucking resolve that. And it doesn't. And then like it hits into the next part and then resolves. So your brain's like, ah, but because of that, like hesitation during it, it kind of like, it makes the song stand out. Uh, Yeah. Um, 12 bar blues is a lot that same same sort of format where the first two first two bars in the 12 bars is typically very melodic and then the third bar is mostly dissonant and then the fourth bar resolves that and it repeats that three times and it changes somewhere in the last like 9, 10, 11, 12 and I can't remember exactly how that changes but i know like and most older blues is set up that way is the Mm -hmm. 12 bars um and it's interesting because when it when they started like fusing that rock and roll into blues it started twisting that formula quite a bit and then you start getting really (coughs) memorable iconic pieces and then a lot of the time when, when that's repeated, <laughs> that just creates a new genre of music. 
And so I guess that's where I'm like going with Red Sun. <laughs> Dude, this is the jazz of podcasts here. Yeah. But that's where I'm going with Red Sun is because um, I think that there's room to like have these offshoots and make them work. I don't think we're there just yet. To And by there, I mean, this. I don't think the studios are ready for that just yet. But I think at this point, the audiences have expect have like accepted three different Spider-Man universes. And yeah. accepted that like they're not connected, with the exception of the very oldest of people. Like we all understand, like this is a reboot of the franchise. This is de- you know, and I think if you can accept that, then you can accept that there's like a different version of like a Superman that we're telling a story about. You know, and I just I I like the idea of doing you know it. what it doesn't necessarily have to be Red Sun, although I think that would be a great story. Because you're you're basically the, all right. So the premise of Red Sun, like he lands in the Soviet Union, right? So he's raised with Soviet values. He's not raised with like the values of like you know Mom Pa Kent, <laughs> and so it's different. Like he winds up taking over the Soviet Union. Like he winds up basically trying to take over the world. And Lex Luthor is trying to stop him because guess what? Lex Luthor has got an alien threat who's actually an alien threat now yeah. to like the American way of life, right? And so it's like, it's really interesting. And then they have like a very interesting kind of, this is the second time we use this word, but like metaphysical ending, uh, which is really interesting to contemplate. Like a, it's very much a, this has all happened, it'll happen again sort of ending. But um I, I think that there's room for that. I just think the studios have to come around. And as we know, the studios are always like slower than everybody else is to come around. You know stuff. what I think will, I think will determine a lot of what gets greenlit in the future would be the success or lack thereof of the Venom movie. Cause I think it's probably about as fringe as it gets right now. And it's it's hard because that's going to be that's a Sony movie if I remember correctly. Yeah. So it's outside of Marvel's control. Well, and, and so I mean, it's 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 hard to say what's going to happen with that movie. Amy Pascal from Sony and Kevin Feige and uh, Tom Holland have all been talking about this a lot the last couple of weeks. So I. I don't remember if I addressed it last week or not, but they were saying definitively that it would, would be part of it, but it like Marvel had no control over it. We'd probably see Tom Holland, Spider-Man in it. Now it sounds like that may not happen. They sort of walked it back and said, we don't know once this deal with Marvel and Sony ends, but as for right now, all the stuff with Venom and Black Cat and all that won't be part of the MCU. Um, but there, there's been other news on the Venom movie, too, that I just want to get to. So, apparently, there's going to be Carnage in it. So, I'm assuming Carnage is going to be a villain. But are you familiar that, with, yeah. with Carnage at all? Yeah. Because uh, it was not initiated. It's basically like the same deal as Venom, except for he can shapeshift his symbiote somewhat to, like, make axes and, like, throw stuff at people and things like that. Like, it's it's a bit more of a dangerous symbiote. And in the comics, it attaches to Cletus Cassidy, who the whole purpose of the character was Marvel decided they needed somebody like the Joker, who was a wild card that you just didn't know what they were going to do. So they took this, to- like, Venom is attached to Eddie Brock, who's like 
unbalanced, but like he's kind of an anti-hero depending yeah. on the story. But like Carnage is just a serial killer with like crazy, crazy. Like there's no, there's no code or anything with him, right? Like yeah. he's just a fucking wild card in everything he does. So like Carnage is very dangerous. Um, so the, it's kind of interesting. Actually, the the most beautiful book I ever picked up as far as artwork goes was a comic or was a Carnage comic. Okay. And it was, I was in, like blown away how great this comic looked. Like just visual, just looking through it. I mean, it looked like still frames of art. Do you remember the book by chance? I don't. The artist maybe? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I I don't recall any of that stuff when I read typically. Yeah, it took a lot of years before I well, the books I can sometimes remember, but it took a lot of years before I remembered the artists. I don't know why, but there's there's some that stick out with me when I was younger, but they were like the writer artist. You know, yeah. like the the first one I remember really following was Todd McFarlane because I really yeah he had a different him. view and it was definitely or a different look to his artwork and it really stood stood out. Yeah, so for people who don't know, he's probably most famous for Spawn, Spawn. but and he helped uh, create Image way back in the nineties. Yeah, before and then everything he had, took a shit and blew up. And then he had, I mean, he was doing music videos. I mean, he did. Uh, Corn Freak on a Leash, I think. He did the one for that, and he did the Pearl Jam video. Oh, uh, Do the Evolution? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, he... So I became familiar with him when I was a kid because I loved his run on Spider-Man. He, he had this run on Amazing Spider-Man that was really good, and like his art just like... It was so gritty and, and cool. And it was really gritty but clean at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and then and, and like he's one of those dudes who just like muscles over everything like just every like he clearly studied anatomy and just like made somebody as buff as they possibly could be you <laughs> yeah. know but um he uh but he did such a great job on the amazing spider-man when they were trying to convince him to stay at marvel before he wound up jumping off to image they uh gave him his own spider-man book where he could do anything he want and so it was just called spider-man and he did this story that I love. And like when I reread it, it's not necessarily the best story, but like the artwork is fucking incredible. He did this story called Torment was his first Spider-Man story for just like the, the plain Spider-Man title. And it's basically um, this like voodoo priestess like makes Kurt Connors turn back into the lizard kind of like basically control like turns him into the lizard and then controls him. And then is just like out to torture Spider-Man. It's really a, a visually interesting book. But um, yeah, anyway. So uh, a little more Spider-Man news. Um, so they uh, basically Tom Holland is playing Spider-Man confirmed that this fan theory is true. <laughs> I read that today. Yeah, and I think. I think Jeremiah, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, I think it was him that tipped me off to this fan theory. And I just sort of like, I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't think that's real. Why would they do it? Who cares? But there's this scene in Iron Man 2 where this little kid, like, there's all those, like, kind of drone bots that Justin Hammer sends out to kill Iron Man. 
and they see like one of it stops and sees this kid who has an Iron Man mask and he holds out his hand with the Iron Man sort of blaster looking thing. And it looks like the drone's about to kill him and then Iron Man like blows it away and he's like, good job kid and flies off. And it took place in Queens. And so there was this theory that that was supposed to be Peter Parker when he was a kid. And I was always like, yeah, right, whatever. But like, apparently that's actually a thing. Like whether they retcon that or the, it was the intention for so the why what's your wild speculation on that my wild speculation is that they heard the theory and they were like yeah that works with the age of the actor we got so yeah it's true i don't think i it was feel intended. like it's kind of a retcon sort of thing i think like they're like well somebody came up with this and we're like what's the harm in saying sure why not yeah because it, it like years wise it works it does because tom holland would have been about that age you yeah, know. it was like the kid was like seven or eight, but, and that was about ten years ago. Yeah, but there's no way that like they they didn't they didn't we were write get that Spider Man with Sony. Like they were still on the Sam Raimi Spider Man at that point. I think. Well, no, they weren't. They were not on the Sam Raimi Spider Man anymore. But there's no way they could have known that they were going to make a deal with Sony. So, like I. I, I don't think that was a real thing, but they retconned it, so it works, so who cares? Sure, I accept it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but uh, it's kind of interesting to talk about. The other news that I, I... There's a lot of news about Spider-Man, but I just picked the stuff that I cared about. Um, so they announced that when they, when they make a sequel, first off, it's not going to be called Homecoming 2, so people can stop with that. <laughs> just stop. Yeah, just stop. Like it's They're not going to reveal what it is, so we don't know if it's because they haven't written it yet or if because Infinity War might you know, affect the title and it might spoil what Infinity War, what happens at the end of it. Because, I mean, make no mistake, we have to have a character dying out of that movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, on some level, I'm going to be disappointed if, like, by the end of those two movies, at least two major Marvel characters don't die. Like, I feel like that has You know to who I think is on the short list? Just, just wild speculation. Mm-hmm. Hawkeye. I think he's got, like, the... Uh, the dead meat syndrome going on. He's got the family <laughs> and, like, about ready to retire and settle down. I'm just going to throw out Iron Man and Captain America. I think those two are going to die. I think, and like, just I feel like Captain America is on the short list. I'm not so sure Evans, about Stark, but both of their, both of their contracts end after Avengers four. So that's the number one tip off to me that like, it could be them, but like even away from that practical thing, like they're the old guard and the, like those are the two giants of the Marvel universe. And like, I don't know. Like, if you're going to kill two characters, those are two really See, big ones. I think Captain America is really expendable as far as a character because, I mean, they still have Bucky Barnes in the universe. Mm-hmm. So They I have mean, people to, to replace him. Yeah. They have they have uh, Rhodey Rhodes, though. Like, he replaces Iron Man in the comics. So, so that his replacement's sitting there, too. <laughs> it's true (laughs) so if you want to continue those those characters with like i mean fucking uh like if you're talking about having a um uh what's his face who plays a a war machine um don Cheadle. yeah don Cheadle as iron man like like because it seems like they're done making iron man movies per se yeah but if you still want like don Cheadle 
Like, fuck, dude. I think Don Cheadle would be, he's like, he seems like the guy that's like, if you throw him a roll, he's taking it. Yeah. But anyway, um, so they, they said that the, the Spider-Man... Although he's uh, kind of crippled at the point moment, but... Well, but they, they showed him walking with like a cybernetic leg, so he'll be fine. Like, it's comics. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, get Doctor Strange in there. He'll fix him right up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to see that, that voodoo guy, like, take him down. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fair, man. But anyway, uh, so that sequel is going to feature another MCU hero, and it's not going to be Iron Man. They confirmed whoever it is, it's not going to be Iron Man. So read into it what you will on that, but there'll be another... There'll be another MCU hero, and it's not going to be Iron Man. So, could be anybody. Do you have what <laughs> speculation about this, dude? It could be Squirrel Girl for all I know. Oh no, they're not going to do. <laughs> they're not going to do the Freeform TV show character. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did I tell you I found out what Freeform is? No. So Freeform is a was ABC Family. They rebranded it as Freeform. Really? Yeah. And you know what? ABC, and I remember ABC Family being the family channel before that. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, this channel is constantly in flux. <laughs> it, it stays with us. But I had just, no idea that they're Freeform now. Yeah. I, I actually looked that up because it really bothered me that there's a Marvel show coming and I had no idea what the fuck it was. <laughs> but that makes sense because ABC owns it. Yeah. So it's like, okay. The whole Disney umbrella. Yeah. I mean, really, it's the whole, what, Disney, ABC. ESPN. Yeah, ESPN. It's so many things. <sighs> anyway. Uh, all right. Let's get into what I consider uber depressing news. Um, so we talked a little bit last week about how, um, and we didn't know much, but we heard that Chris Miller and Phil Lords were fired from uh the han solo spinoff yeah that's kind of got into weird tailspin okay so i want to say first before i drop any of this stuff has been leaking out a little bit at a time and one thing that people have to keep in mind i just want to say it in fairness like chris miller and phil lords had to sign a non-disclosure agreement which are com- like pretty draconian yeah, and it's for one of those like things Star like Wars you can get fucking sued. Yeah, so they really cannot give their side of the story on anything, but stuff's leaking out from various sources on Disney's side. So first off, we know Ron Howard's going to direct the Han Solo movie. Yes. So I got to say, like, you can't get more capable hands than that. The, I mean, that's very capable hands. Yeah, so I'm not entirely worried about the movie. I feel like Ron Howard will find a way to make a good movie. But as long as everybody signs their releases. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so here's some stuff coming out so the studio wasn't happy with alden uh and and reich's i don't know if i'm saying that right and and reich uh his acting so they brought in an acting coach midway through filming that's unusual because they they like in big movies they bring on acting coaches sometimes for actors but they do it before the filming yeah. And so yeah, for was, them to do it in the middle of filming, that's kind of I was just uh, listening to a podcast, and it was from six months ago with uh, Dolph Lundgren. And because he was talking about how he first kind of broke into the scene, because his first film was on uh, A View to a Kill. Yeah. 
and he was one of the Russian baddies, right? Yeah. And he just had like a twenty second part in that film. Um, but that's what basically got him in the door for Rocky Four. Okay. And they uh because he actually had an acting coach for Rocky Fort, just mostly for the language barrier. Uh-huh. Um, and part of it, it was really kind of interesting reading or listening to him talk about it because when Sylvester Stallone gave him the script, it actually had all of the punches and everything choreographed in the script. So he had to, like, memorize all of the punches and everything in addition to the dialogue. Interesting thing about that, though. At a certain point, like Sylvester Stallone, a lot of the Rocky movies, he wants realism at a certain point, and so he starts doing real hits because it, it just, like, plays better on the screen. And so he told La- Dolph Lundgren he wanted it to him to, like, just fucking, like, let him have it. And so he fucking punctured one of his ribs. He hit him once in the rib cage and fucking punctured a rib. And so he almost died, dude, like... He went to the hospital and he almost died. Dude, uh, Dolph Lundgren is not a guy you want fucking hitting you. I mean, he's got a martial arts background. Yeah. And uh, uh, Carl Weathers at a certain point was like, come on, really hit me. And it was like goading him. And like he beat the shit out of like uh, uh, Carl Weathers so bad that like they were supposed to do a little more fight. And he's like, just kill me. He's like, I can't do any more scenes. Like just... (laughs) kill me so they, they filmed the thing where he hits him and he, he you know gets knocked to the mat because he couldn't do any more spoilers oh come on dude <laughs> Jesus. shit that movie's older than we are no it's not <laughs> i wish it was i thought it came out in 76 no 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 that was the first rocky we're talking rocky four uh, rocky four is when he ends the cold war it was like 88 89 <laughs> i thought it was like 86 Oh, no, no, no. It was right at the end of the Cold War. <laughs> That's why, like, Rocky Five is so horribly early 90s. <sighs> yeah. All right. Back to... Okay. So, um, <laughs> then, like, an editor got fired right before Chris Miller and Phil Lords were let go. So, right away, not a good sign, right? Um, and so, apparently... Lawrence Kasdan was like having so he as we know like he wrote Raiders he wrote Empire Strikes Back like a lot of movies directed movies in his own right like Silverado and and uh, some other ones including the Alien Movie Project movie which is totally horrible and put Lawrence Kasdan in movie jail until The Force Awakens <laughs> uh, Dreamcatcher oh it's a fucking bad movie oh I forgot he did that yeah and it's it, uh, it's a you know, movie that should not be so terrible because Stephen King wrote it. You know, and then it, the script was written by uh, uh, what's his face who did the Princess Bride. Uh, I can't even think of his name off the top of my head. I should be know this. And, and then it was like like also rewritten by Lawrence Kasdan and then like directed by him. You would think it would be a good movie, but no, it's terrible. Yeah, I think. I think that movie had a few bad things going for it, like the amount of slime and nastiness that was going on, and then like a kind of convoluted plot. Yeah, like really hit that. Having Brody from Mallrats in a horror movie, <laughs> I want to see Brody from Mallrats in Mallrats. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Hey, if you uh, give him a list and have him deal with karma, I'm all about that. 
<laughs> Fair enough. I mean, he was more like kind of uh, white trashy and, and oh, he was very white trash. And, and my name and is was- Earl, though. It's a different character. Anyway, um, so Kasdan was was button heads with Chris Miller and Phil Lord. So apparently, they would they would film a scene. And they would sort of shout out lines to the actors in the moment, like Im- improvisation stuff. And so Kasdan was really irritated by that. And he wanted them to stick to the script. And so they got notes to stick to the script more. And so what they would do was they would get whatever take it was in the can. And then they would throw out the improvisation stuff. And apparently that just drove Kasdan crazy. Um, then Disney apparently wanted them to use 10 to 12 setups. So in other words, like when you like do a big action scene, they wanted 10 to 12 cameras rolling and instead they would only roll three. And so that gave them less choices with the editing. Right. And so that drove them crazy too. So they had all kinds of problems with the editing for the movies. Um, and then uh, Miller and Lords felt like they had zero creative freedom and were under extreme scheduling constraints. Apparently they would start filming late in the day is the word that's been leaking out. And so that's part of the thing that like Disney's pointing to is like, Hey, you guys start filming like halfway through the day, you should be doing full days. And I don't think they wanted to do full days. Uh, and yeah. And they just felt like Lawrence Kasdan had become a shadow director for the movie. So that seems to be all of the problems that were going on in the movie. So that's a lot so, to fucking unpack. The other thing I heard, of, and I, this might just be on the rumor front, is uh, they were likening the main character, Han Solo's performance to Ace Ventura. So that was, I think, that was somebody in Disney who was who was saying that, yeah, that like it was it was more of a ace ventura thing and apparently there's also a rumor that the actor like went to kathleen kennedy and was like so i know you don't like my performance but like this is what they're trying to get out of me and that was a fight with kasdan too because he wanted he wanted the audience to understand that han solo is sarcastic and um like kind of a jerk like doesn't really care about anybody else and instead, what they were doing, you end up with over like, the top, and you end up with Ace Ventura. I can see where that progress. Yeah, but that seems like a low blow. Saying Ace Ventura, I seriously doubt they were filming him as. I mean, I know that's what was said, but I, I you know, seriously there's doubt that. there, Han Solo to me always had that kind of brazen, but not cocky about it sort of attitude. Like he was very confident in what he did, but he wasn't a braggart about it. Is I feel like he was though. Like, hey, this this is the ship that did the castle run in twelve. You know, like in twelve parsec. I mean, there was always a little bit, but it wasn't an over the top bragging type of person. I mean, there was there was a really fine there was a fine line there, and I could see it seems like a different uh, director not seeing the same point 
in the sand. It seems like the main problem that they had um, in terms of like the character is that Kazan very much wanted to make the character as we saw him at the beginning of Star Wars before he starts to like actually care about the other characters a tiny bit. And then we see that more in Empire, right? He starts to open up with Leia and, and he goes out and saves Luke and stuff, right? But this is because at the end of Star Wars, he has that transformation. He has that moment where he like clears out the, he comes back and clears out the thing for, for Luke to, to make a shot, right? That's like, that's a big thing for Han Solo's character because he doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself and Chewbacca, right? Like he has a soft spot for Chewbacca, but he doesn't care about anybody else. And so I think like, I'm guessing Lawrence Kasdan's script is more dealing with this guy who doesn't care about anybody else. Right. And so it's probably like with like Lando and, and Chewie and whatever other characters, it's like them trying to crack into his tough exterior, I would guess. But it seems like Miller and Lords weren't really interested in that. Um, I don't know. I know they would have made a great movie. I don't know if they would have made the right movie. I'm confident with Ron Howard seeing as how everything went down with Rogue One and it worked out. I'm confident with Rogue One or with the Han Solo movie we're going to get a good movie. I just really wonder what their movie would have looked like and I feel bad that they went through all this shit cuz I to me they're batting a thousand. Like I don't think they've done anything I haven't liked so far. And so I just like, it feels shitty that they're just like getting shit on for all this, you know? Yeah. And like, I know about those non-disclosure agreements. So it's like, they really can't fight back anytime soon. And so that really sucks. Like that sucks bad for them. So I don't know. Anyway, um, did you have anything else to talk about? I do got one review, <laughs> but. So I was going to talk a little bit about my fun, uh, rafting fishing trip last weekend okay or as i like to call it fun with snakes oh no (laughs) oh no (laughs) so uh my neighbor and i we've been talking like last couple weeks we're like you know i got a raft we because we we sit out on the porch and have a cigarette every once in a while we're like swap fishing stories and like you know what we need to go out and go do some fishing I'm like, I got a raft. We can get up early, go hit the river, do some fishing. So I'm like, you know what? We're going to do this. So Sunday we get up early, hit the river, and we fit, we float for a little bit, and we like see this island where it's like there's a couple of really nice like fish holes. We're like, well, we can stop here and just kind of see like – tie the raft up for a few minutes and just hit these holes hard and see what comes out of them. Try and catch some fish. So he goes up, up or down the river a little bit. And I go up the river a little bit and I've got my fly rod and I'm casting. Things are going good and just not paying attention. And I just catch out of the corner of my eye, just like look down and like three inches from my dick, there's a snake like in the water. Like ah. if I hadn't noticed it, it probably would have went up my shirt. Uh. <laughs> just a little like 10 inch garter snake. I mean, so it's not poisonous or anything, but just like 
So I screamed and like dropped my pole and just like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would have been done fishing at that point. (laughs) Just done. That wasn't the worst part. Okay. Did it bite your dick? No. Like I just like, I like swatted away and like it went up on the bank and then like went around like, cause Paul was like on the other side of this little island we were at cause we were fishing the end of the point where the island ends. And so he was on the other side and like went over like around the little point and then like started fucking with Paul for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Could you tell what kind of snake it was? It was just a little garter snake. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You said like a gardener snake, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's there's like three or four different species of garter snake in Montana, so Okay. I don't know what exactly it was, but it's just a little When I was a kid we had these ones called red racers and yellow racers. I don't know what they're actually called, but that's what we called them. We used to collect them and put them in buckets. <laughs> and like I swear to God, like every day we would find a couple for the bucket and then like our babysitter would just fucking flip out on us and make make us dump out the bucket way in the woods. <laughs> but uh, I can't imagine like that Alex with this Alex because <laughs> there's, there's some sort of reconciliation that dude, just doesn't work. I can't work. even picture like even if I knew a snake's not venom venomous like grabbing a snake. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> but I had a thing, so it's I I, mean, yeah. I could have probably that snake I could have probably grabbed and played with. Yeah. But I didn't really feel like it. <laughs> yeah, I had a thing and then, like, when I was younger, so it's <laughs> so, I don't like snakes. So we fished fished that little hole out, so we got back in the raft, like went down another half mile. There was this place fish were like jumping all over the place. So I threw out the anchor and we're like about 20 yards from the shore and we're casting out. He's on the one side of the boat. I'm on the other. We're both casting out and we're like kept hearing this noise like because it was kind of like a like a cliff along the one side of the river. I mean, it wasn't real steep. It kind of like went up at an angle for a while and then straight up and we kept hearing something like it sounded like something was in the bushes up there and like ah, because we couldn't see anything i mean you could look over and you didn't see anything and then all of a sudden like we heard like part of the bank give way and this big fucking five foot bull snake ah starts swimming right at our raft like got within like 10 feet of the raft and we're like trying to poke it with our fly poles to get the fuck away. Are they like poisonous? They're not poisonous. Okay. Good. The only poisonous snake in Montana is the rattlesnake. Okay. But at first it, cause it looks identical to a rattlesnake. With just with, without the without rattle. The rattle. <laughs> nightmares and so it's funny because like paul paul uh was poking it with his fly pole like trying to get it away and like accidentally casted his fly rod and it like he's like god don't 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 hook the snake don't hook the snake <laughs> <laughs> That's when you just let go of the pole. You just like dude. cut the fucker up. You like 
lock it up and you just throw it onto the bank to try to take the snake with it. <laughs> and we watched it like we got it to like not come at the boat and so like went up around the boat and we watched it swim clear across the river the river's probably at this point like 200 yards across and we could see that fucker all the way on the other side of the river Ugh. and like i said it's as tall as I am, or it, so it's probably longer than I am tall. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we didn't catch a single fucking fish. <laughs> so my streak continues. It's not as long as my streak, dude. <laughs> Terrible. Well, I, I got one more review to do here. Um, so I watched a new Netflix show called Glow. Dude, it is so funny. It's so good. I really recommend it. It's a uh, so Allison Brie is in this show, and I don't know the other actress's name, but uh, she's in a lot of stuff. Like I, she plays the teacher in Billy Madison. All right, and uh, and then there's um, uh, Mark Marin plays this director in it, and so basically what it's about is like. Alison Brie is this actress who's down and out and she's just like desperate to get a job and she's on the verge probably of having to move away from LA. They don't actually say it, but you sort of get the impression and she's not getting casted for anything cause she's too plain looking. And so basically she winds up They're like, they tell her that um, this casting director tells her, that she knows something she can do, but it's kind of far out there. And she's like, you don't mean like porn, do you? <laughs> and so it's not porn. And so she shows up and it's they're starting this show called Glow, which is female wrestling. And they're going to do it for a cable show. And this all takes place. They don't, I don't think they hammered down the exact year, but it feels like it's like maybe 1983. Like all the outfits and everything indicate 1983. And it is so funny. It's so funny, dude. It's just like, it's smart because it shows like all the inherent sexism that's around even today, but they're so much more blatant about it because it's the eighties, you know, with like television and Mark Maron's just so great at being cutting and just awful. But like Alison Breed does this really great job of portraying this actress who, um, essentially, you know, she can't get these roles because she's not the looker that they're that they want for their film but she's like also kind of awful and like being this like super serial actor you know like being all actory and she gets fired from it like she gets cut from it before they ever do anything and then it turns out <sighs> turns out her best friend they have some beef and i'll just leave it at that and it's sort they of like squash the beef well, or do they bury the hammer? I'm only two. I'm only <laughs> two episodes in. So, but basically, it plays out in the ring, and like, like Mark Marin suddenly sees this vision of them wrestling, and like thinks it's gonna be great. And so, it's it's so much fun, dude. Like like Mark Marin plays a director. He's essentially on the outs. He did a bunch of B movies. And Hopefully, it didn't end up like the Justine Kish fight. What's that? I don't even know. So there was a UFC fight and there was two women fighters. 
Oh. <laughs> and uh, Justine Kish crapped herself in the middle of the fight. <laughs> well, there is a scene where like one lady finds out that another one had a um had a miscarriage, and so she's going to taunt her. So she like steals this ketchup bottle. And then, like, in the middle of the fight, she's like, oh, my God. She's, like, spraying ketchup out and saying she had a miscarriage and stuff. <laughs> oh, and so Mark Barron just jumps in, like, being like, no, that's great motivation for the fight and talking about it, even though he had a hand in it. <laughs> and it's just, like, he's just completely oblivious to it in the time. And it's <clears> – <throat> but it's such a good show. It's, like, it's fun and it, it has, like, good – um I don't know. Like, it's got a good message behind it, but it's also just like if you want to turn off your brain and laugh, it's a good show, too. And it's made by the producer of Orange is the New Black. Nice. Um, What's the name of the show? It's called uh, Glow. Okay. And, like, I guarantee if you've turned on Netflix in the last two weeks, it's popped up on your thing. Like, it just popped up immediately for me. It's like, glow, and it's all 80s style looking. And I was like, huh. And I just, like, set it aside, not really thinking about it. And then I heard Allison Brie in an interview, and I'm like, oh, that's what Allison Brie is doing right now? So I, like, checked it out. And, like, I watched two episodes last night, and my wife watched in the middle of it. She really dug it, too. Like, it's just a really good show. So, I, I recommend that one. Like, Netflix still killing it. So, I, uh, my latest watch on Netflix has been, uh, season or part three of The Ranch. Okay. <laughs> Not good. I love that show and hate that show at the same time. <laughs> I almost feel like you hate watch it sometimes. Yeah. It's some of the episodes get. They're tw- like 22-minute episodes, and some of them seem like they take forever. Mm-hmm. And I think w- my main beef with the show is the Ash- Ashton Kutcher storyline because some of that stuff gets just so bogged down and deep and, well, not necessarily deep, but just like hard-hitting gut-wrenching stuff like there's an abortion scene and i mean there's just some stuff in there that just gets gets really heavy and so that's the part i have a hard time getting through the stuff with uh uh the guy the guy that played hide Mm -hmm. or donnie masterson yeah like is fucking golden and uh, the stuff with Sam Elliott's really good. Even the stuff like with his, because in the second season he ends up getting divorced from his wife Maggie. That's a uh, Deborah Winger. Right? Yeah, and some of that stuff starts to get a little like heavy, but they really find a good balance of keeping it light at the same time. But the stuff with Ashton Kutcher's character just gets so bogged down. But it's been, I'm about halfway through the third season or I guess part. And it's one of those things that's just interesting to watch because I I relate to a lot of what's happening in that show. Just just living in a small town montana i mean it's yeah based on a small town in colorado so i mean it's a very similar mentality i mean 
we went to school with people in high high school that are these characters to a T. So, I mean, it's it's something that I can relate to a lot. So, uh, I, I, I do want to say it's we're closing out here. Um, so I noticed like our subscribers have been bumping up. So thank you guys. Like we're getting around the same amount of, of people listening, but like the sus- subscribers are going up. So I appreciate that. If you're Thanks, not subscribing. You yeah. Thank you. If you're not subscribing to the show yet, um, if you're not sure how, uh, if you just go through iTunes or if you have something on your phone like an app for uh, Podcast Republic or Crashbox, um, you can. There's I have ways, Podcast Addict. Yeah, there's ways you can do that so that it's just like every time it you searches turn it on, the iTunes. Yeah, it just automatically searches for it and you don't have to do any work, which is probably easier than like clicking on links or whatever. So I just wanted to throw, I throw that out there periodically just to, to let people know because I know more and more people are listening to podcasts like it's something that has definitely been blowing up over the six and a half years we've been doing this show now <laughs> God, has it been that long yeah <laughs> <laughs> it has and uh i think we're on episode 321 right now so <laughs> to give wow. you an idea but um it's uh i just like to throw that out there every now and then to help out people like if you're if you're struggling with like, you know, like remembering or whatever, it's just a surefire hey, way to do and it. And while you're there, check out some of the other podcasts on the Not Safer Network. Oh, yeah. We just did one for uh, Real Roulette. Real uh, Roulette. Yeah. We we did one. Where <laughs> we covered the, the movie with the most like fucking. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was it basically everything in the movie was a coincidence. Like everything, coincidence built on coincidence built on coincidence, which is fucking bizarre. Because I'll just say this before anybody listens to the episode. I and I swear to God, this is true. I swear on the episode too, but I'll I'll do it again here. Um, that the theme was really uninspiring, and it was just like kind of drecky, like synthesizer music from the eighties, you know. And uh, I I came up with four horror themes. To like sort of be like, look, it's not even the right genre of like theme. And one of them I picked was Hellraiser. And then we wound up drawing Hellraiser at the end of the episode. <laughs> and it was just like a complete coincidence. And so, um, yeah, so, it was just coincidences all around <laughs> the entire episode. But I think it was a fun episode. Like we had a good life. Just put out a couple. Um, I don't know. It seems like they've been doing two every two weeks. Have you noticed that? It sounds about right. Yeah. Because they... It hasn't been week to week, but they give you the content that's basically up week to week. And I, I'm not 100% sure it's going to happen because you never know it'll happen in the future. But I was talking with Matt, and I think I'm going to be on an upcoming episode of We Had a Good Life. So uh, we'll see if that pans out or not. But uh, it sounds like I'm going to be on an, another episode. So it's been too long since I sat with the... Uh, <laughs> since I sat with the the, the brothers Campbell... Hopefully you're not enjoying the thickening at this this time. <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to happen. This time. <laughs> Chances are it's going to be whiskey. <laughs> Chances are some real Jameson. Good. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or some Ronald Reagan. I mean, whatever's handy. I'm sure. <laughs> I prefer the Jameson, so maybe I'll Me bring too. down. I should probably bring down some. That would be the classy move. Yeah, but check out those podcasts. They're they're great to listen to. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I guess that's about it, unless you had anything else you need to bring up. So, last couple of weeks, I've been uh, ending the show with uh, a little tale of Hunter S. Thompson. Okay. And so, this week, being 4th of July is coming up, and I thought we'd... uh, Some holiday hunter? Get some holiday hunter and tell you a little story that just kind of makes you say, America, fuck yeah. (laughs) Coming again to save the motherfucking day, yeah? Not exactly. I'm going to guess on this story. And the story I'm going to tell you is that time he terrorized Jack Nicholson with fireworks and the sounds of pig slaughter. (laughs) I actually know this story, but I'd look forward to hearing you tell it. All right. One of Hunter S. Thompson's illustrious celebrity friends was Jack Nicholson. They had an odd, long-running joke of giving each other strange gifts. Jack Nicholson's birthday present for Thompson took the cake by far. Reaching Nicholson's house after dark, Thompson arrived at a bridge overlooking the building and launched a 40 million candle power parachute flare, which lit up 40 miles of darkness and looked like the first flash of a nuclear explosion. And that's in quotes. <laughs> Not missing a beat, he aimed a million-watt spotlight on the house and played the amplified sounds of dying pigs (laughs) through the loudspeaker. Thinking this might not be enough, he began firing his automatic pistol in the air. (laughs) To which Nicholson didn't respond. What Thompson didn't know that was Nicholson was being stalked by a crazed fan at the time. When Thompson got no reaction from the extensive theatrics, he left a fresh elk heart on Nicholson's doorstep (laughs) and left, dejected. (laughs) In a painting Nicholson would do in honor of Thompson's death, he wrote... How'd you like the Elkhart as a nod to this traumatic event? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so hilarious, man. Yeah, I think he wrote about that in Kingdom of Fear, this uh, one of Hunter's last books. It's a fucking great book. But uh, yeah, that's probably a good place to, to... to kick out so so i won't see you on the fourth so enjoy your have a happy uh fourth of july and be safe out there yeah and we'll have some sort of guest next week for sure um i don't know if it's going to be a full-length episode or not we'll find out but uh what there will definitely be an episode next week so take it easy america fuck yeah Put them on your laptop! Put them on your phone! 
Put them in your ears. Not safe for network. With the Not Safe for Network, the entertainment's ringing through your brain. Collect them all or trade them with your friends. Not safe for network. Real roulette. Maybe you're a film student. I'm picturing you with a beret. We had a good life. Well, Strop, it's a bit of the gift and the curse. That's debatable. It'd be nice if they showed a little accountability. The Alien Movie Project. It's just another clear-cut case of American exceptionalism. Montucky Skies. I'm spoiling the shit out of this in three, two, one. Bigs on film. We're watching this on Netflix because I'm three beers in and lost the Blu-ray. Listen to all the archives in a row and they form a mega podcast so long that your significant other will be drawing up divorce papers. Not safe for network.